Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hello friends, Michael Kingswood here and it's story time. Doing this later than normal, normally do it Mondays and today's Wednesday. Uh, all I can say about that is had a uh, bunch of stuff going on last week. Mom came to town to visit and a few other things going on. And then all the weekend was taken up with her and other stuff. Um, so, sorry. Also, I had to figure out uh, what the heck I was going to do with this episode of the podcast and video. Because, you know, as you know, or you should know, <laughs> um, that we uh, finished up uh, Glimmer Veil, vale, first book of the Glimmer Veil vale Chronicles last week. And... Book two uh, is not quite done with audio production yet, uh, so I got to come up with something else to do. So what I decided was to go with a novella I wrote a while back. I got to look at the copyright to remember exactly when, but uh, I was playing Skyrim a few years ago, going through one of those dungeon crawls and fighting the zombie Draugr things, and I was like, ah, this would be kind of a, let's just write a fun story riffing off of that, not in Skyrim, but this you know, general concept, zombie, dungeon crawl, killing undead, trying to track down a necromancer and take him out. So this came into a novella called The Necromancer's Lair. And uh, yeah, it, I put it out there a few years ago, and uh, some folks have liked it, some folks have um, said I liked it, but it's too short, and some folks have said, man, what the heck is this? Written down of a D&D game? That's just, I don't like it at all. And, you know, okay, so I guess that means it hits the right notes because some people like it and some people don't, right? So if, if uh, you don't get any reactions either way, then that's a bad thing. But anyway, so we'll see what you guys think. Um, yeah, stand by. I'll get back to you at the story in just a sec. Okay, Necromancer's Lair by me. Gareth's chest heaved as he sucked in gulps of air. His heart pounded in his ears and he tingled all over with a mixture of exhilaration and fear. He leapt backwards, leaving grimy claws a scratch harmlessly along the front of his steel breastplate before he got out of reach. This thing was relentless. Gareth had hit it a dozen times, each blow of his axe tearing out large chunks of flesh and muscle, but it kept on coming. Even losing an arm did not stop it. The creature shambled forward the putrid scent of rotting flesh leading the way. Its mouth lolled in a, a brainless snarl, and its eyes shone with a ghostly light that did not come close to resembling life. And yet, it moved. Ragged cloths, last remains of its funeral raiment, Gareth was sure, still clung to its body in places, but were at best an afterthought, if such a thing as this had any thoughts at all. Gareth drew a deep breath and adjusted his grip on the handle of his axe. He wondered, for a heartbeat, how much longer he could keep up hacking the thing before it simply wore him down for fatigue. Then it was on him. The nails, the claws, of its sole remaining arm thrust towards Gareth's throat. It was an awkward attack, as clumsy as the thing's stride, and Gareth easily sidestepped it. 
He gritted his teeth, and with a grunt that was nearly a shout, he brought his axe down. The thing's arm went flying, cut off at the elbow. No blood flowed. There was none remaining in its body. Neither did the thing seem to feel pain nor to slow. It stumbled forward, turning to face him before la launching itself straight at him, its rotting teeth its last weapon. Except for the stink, it became overpowering as the thing's mouth drew near. Gareth nearly gagged, only years of training stopping him from losing his composure. Would the thing never die? He recoiled and struck again with his axe. The half-moon of steel struck the beast in the forehead, cleaving its head nearly in two before lodging in place. The light in the creature's eyes flickered, and it shambled forward another half-step. Then the light went out completely and it fell forward. It hit the ground with a sickening, squishy thud and lay still. Ye gods, Gareth muttered as he wiped his brow with the back of his hand. He took a deep breath and had to stop himself from shuddering. Well fought, my lord, said Hatherley from behind him. But if I may make a suggestion... Gareth scowled and looked over his shoulder. The southern man behind him and to his left was less armored than he was, just a leather breastplate, mostly hidden by the dark gray tunic he wore over top. His pants were light brown, tight-fitting, and tucked into calf-high, turned-down boots. He wore a pack on his back, and a gray skullcap covered most of his head, leaving just a few strands of his blonde hair falling out. His hands rested on the pommel of his longsword, which he held point down into the dirt before him. What? Hatherley cleared his throat. I would avoid fresh wounds on such as these, he nodded, toward the still corpse at his feet. Its head was severed from its body, and go for the head instead. Gareth stared at him for a long moment, then rolled his eyes bent over and grabbed the haft of his axe. No kidding. The axe was stuck fast. This was going to take a bit of work. He stepped over the rotting corpse and took hold of both hands. It could have helped, you know, if you figured it out so fast. Gareth practically heard Hatherley's shrug. You seem to have things well in hand, my lord. Gareth heaved upward, his breath leaving his lungs in a loud grunt as he strains against the axe handle. For several long seconds, nothing happened. Then, without warning, the axe came free. Gareth stumbled backwards, almost tripping over the creature's severed forearm. Decaying corpse matter of some variety or other, Gareth did not want to think about what it was exactly sprayed out of the thing's head where his axe used to be. He shuddered trying not to inhale the newly increased stench. Instead, he turned away and stalked further into the cave, pausing only to remove a rag from behind his belt. He wiped the blade of his axe clean of slime, bone, and the rest as he walked. Hatherley followed. I asked you to stop calling me that. I'm no lord, Gareth growled over his shoulder. Again, the semi-audible shrug. Lord Hadley offered a title to whomever rids the county of the necromancer, so I expect you will be soon. Besides, I'm sworn to your service, my lord. What else should I call you? Gareth ground his teeth. They had argued this point several times before, and he had never been able to set Hatherley to budge. Best just to let it lie. Well, what do you make of those things? Necromancers are masters of all things dead, my lord. Considering our quest, yes, I know, I just meant, what do you think about them? There was a long pause. My lord? Never mind. The reanimated corpses were clearly watchdogs. That meant Gareth's notion was right. There was a passage from the cave into the necromancer's tower. Hatherley either really did not see it, or he was just playing dumb because that's what he thought a manservant was supposed to do with his lord. It'd be less annoying if he was consistent about it, if that latter was the case. The light was beginning to fade. Gareth took a moment to look back. The cave mouth was about 25 feet behind them. The jagged rocks around its entrance really did make it look like a mouth, come to think of it. 
The floor of the cave was relatively flat, littered here and there with rocks and boulders, and two hacked-up corpses. But as far as caves went, it was easy to navigate. Looking back ahead, the cave bent around to the left, and very soon the light from the entrance would be gone. Break out the torches, he said. Hatherley nodded acquiescence and took off his pack. He spent a moment digging around before coming up with two of the torches they had made back in town. Gareth set his axe down and took out flint and steel. Hatherley held the torches out toward him and he began to work. In a few moments, both torches were alight, and the two men set off once more. Keep a close eye out, Gareth said, softly, receiving only a short grunt in return. Glancing aside, Gareth noted an expression of annoyance on Hatherley's face that disappeared as soon as the other man felt his eyes on him. Gareth had to suppress a grin. It was not often that Hatherley let his facade crack. The cave continued to twist to the left and ascended. It became gradually more narrow, and the ceiling lowered as well. The small pools of light cast by their torches only heightened the sense that the world was slowly closing in around them. Gareth felt the hair on his arms stand on end, and he began to get a queasy feeling in his stomach. He had to force himself to breathe normally, but nonetheless, he felt a deepening pressure on his chest. He had never cared for tight spaces. But finally, the passage leveled, though it became noticeably more rough, with more rounded boulders strewn hither and yon, along with the occasional stalactite and stalagmite. Then there was a whisper of moving air. Gareth would not have noticed it except for the stillness of the rest of the cave. The slight breeze carried with it the odor of dampness, with a hit of corruption beneath. Gareth rolled his shoulders, settling the shield he kept slung on his back a bit more comfortably. Then, flexing his fingers on the haft of his axe, he stepped around a particularly large boulder and found himself flailing his arms to keep from falling. Only Hatherley's quick reaction, grabbing his shoulder and hauling him back, prevented disaster. Shivering from a surge of adrenaline, Gareth exhaled deeply and nodded thanks. Hatherley returned the nod, but said nothing. His eyes said enough. Gareth needed to be more careful. It would not do for Hatherley to lose his lord this quickly into his tenure as Gareth's sworn man. Gareth managed not to scowl at the man before he turned back to the fall that had almost taken him, and his heart sank. The floor dropped away on either side of the boulder, becoming a sheer crevasse that descended farther than the torch's light could reach. The crack ran in both directions as far as he could see, and was about fifteen feet wide, so too far to jump. Except for a narrow ledge, Leading off to the left on his side of the crevasse, there was no way forward. That is discouraging, Heatherly said as he eyed the crack. That's one way to say it. I didn't see any branching passages or anything like that looked like a door, did you? Heatherly shook his head. Gareth sighed and stepped to the left-hand wall where the ledge lay. It was about two feet wide and proceeded on for quite some distance, well past the illumination from the torches. It was not a very inviting route. Not sure I like the notion of sliding along that ledge, but I don't see any other way to go, Gareth said. He glanced back at Hatherley. What do you think? The slender man shrugged. I go where you go, my lord. Great help, that one. Gareth sighed. All right, let's go. With a deep breath, he inched his foot out onto the ledge. It was too narrow to walk properly, not without great risk of overbalancing and falling. So Gareth pressed his back against the cave wall and slid along sideways. It was slow going and awkward but very quickly into the process, and he switched his axe to his left hand, the one that was leading the way, and the torch to his right. At least he would have a chance of defending himself that way, and he was not staring directly into the torch's flame. At one point, Garrett's foot came down on the very lip of the edge, and part of it broke away. He pressed himself back more tightly against the wall, expecting the rest of the ledge to fall away beneath him at any moment. 
The various prayers he had not spoken since he was a boy flew through his mind as he waited the end, and he felt a cold sweat beating on his brow. But the rest of that ledge held. After a long moment, Hazardly cleared his throat, rousing Gareth from his near-panicked state. He shook himself and blinked, then managed a rueful grin and continued on. Finally, after what felt like forever, but was probably only a few hundred feet, the wall expanded back into an oblong alcove that almost appeared carved out of the rock face. It was so smooth. About twenty feet deep and half again as many wide, the walls were rounded, rising to meet in a sort of a dome in the center of the alcove area. Aside from that, however, the alcove was unremarkable and empty. The walls were bare rock with no protuberances, the floor smooth and level. Even the ledge did not continue beyond the alcove. That was it. End of the road. Damn it, Gareth muttered. I thought sure there was a way. The presence of our previous adversary certainly suggested that much, my lord, Hatherley replied, though I hesitate to imagine beings like those successfully navigating that ledge. Gareth was forced to nod in agreement. He had been wondering that himself as they crept down the ledge. Those walking corpses were not particularly nimble. How had they managed not to fall off the ledge? Of course, there was nothing to stop the necromancer from simply bringing them in from the cave mouth. But why go to all the effort to do so if the only thing in the cave was this? There's got to be more here than meets the eye, Gareth said. Take the left, Tavdily. I'll start on the right. We'll meet in the middle. He did not wait for the manservant to respond, but strode over to the far end of the alcove. Moving slowly, he tapped the flat of his axe against the cave wall. A metallic tink rang out, almost eclipsing the softer ring of the stone as the metal touched it. Not particularly melodious, but true. The wall was solid there. Gareth continued in that manner, ranging up and down the wall at random as he eased his way around the alcove, until he met Hathaway halfway around as planned. Anything? The manservant just shrugged. Seems solid to me, my lord. Hmm. Gareth frowned at the stone wall for a long moment, his thoughts whirling. He'd been so sure. The wasted time and effort rankled. But more than that, the thought that another may have already breached the tower's walls ahead of him drove a spike of irritation that bordered on rage into him. If I may suggest, stow it, Hatherley. Gareth could not keep himself from shouting. Hatherley blanched and drew back on himself, his already slight frame seeming to shrivel as he recoiled from his lord's anger. His lord... Gareth had no claim to that title, nor did he want one. Why would the little fellow not listen when he explained that? It was almost enough to bring the rage full on for a moment. Then Gareth got a hold of himself and forced himself back to calm. Or at least just more than mild irritation. He knew exactly why Hatherley had sworn to him, why he called Gareth his lord, and Gareth did not have the heart to force that devotion from him. He drew a deep breath and forced the last of his anger away. I'm sorry, Hatherley, he said, making his tone as kind as he could. Hatherley blinked. He actually looked confused. No need to apologize, my lord. I serve at your pleasure. How to explain? The issue almost made Gareth angry again, but he was back in control. Never mind, let's go. We'll take the short, direct way, straight through the front door. He barked out a laugh that he hoped sounded confident. That old necromancer will never expect something like that. Gareth turned and walked back toward the ledge, his earlier trepidation about taking it forgotten, at least for the moment. The sound of Hatherley clearing his throat brought him to a halt. Gareth looked back at Hatherley over his shoulder. What? Hatherley gave the slightest of shrugs. I go where you go, my lord, but out with it, man. Hatherley frowned. Not to contradict you, but I suspect the necromancer expects that very thing. 
He counts on it, and as his defenses are arrayed against it, the odds of success for even survival in a frontal assault are... Never tell me the odds. Adelie's teeth clacked together, and he managed a rueful smile. Pardon, my lord, I forgot. Gareth looked at the slender manservant for half a minute, then rolled his eyes and threw up his hands. Well, what do you suggest? My lord, I would not presume... Gareth's stare carried daggers. Hadley's speech slowed and came to a halt beneath its weight. Finally, he made a vague gesture toward the top of the ceiling, where the dome reached its zenith. Gareth frowned and walked over to the center of the alcove. As he stepped beneath the ceiling's zenith, it was like a key turning in a lock. He suddenly saw what Hadley was referring to. Standing exactly there, the patterns of the rock came together and formed the sigil of a wolf by the neck of a fallen deer. The symbol of the necromancer, Gareth presumed. The wolf's eyes were open. They stared behind Gareth and to his right, toward the stone floor. Gareth turned around and looked down toward where the wolf was gazing. There he saw a circle surrounded by a five-pointed star inlaid into the ground. He felt his eyes going wide as his jaw dropped. Hathily, he began. Then he caught himself as a realization hit him. He rounded on the slither man, his earlier anger rekindled. You knew? Hatherly shook his head. I saw the ceiling of the sigil, yes. Why the hell didn't you say something? Gareth felt his heart rate beginning to climb. I was sure you would find it, my lord, he smiled, his face becoming pure admiration and devotion. It is not my place to interrupt. Gareth bet back a curse, instead grinding his teeth to keep a vicious tongue lashing from spearing forth. He glared at Hatherly for a minute. The man did not have the grace to look embarrassed, then sighed and looked back at the star and circle on the ground. Well, what do you make of this? Hathley walked up next to Gareth, his expression curious. When he stopped beneath the sigil on the ceiling and followed Gareth's pointing finger with his gaze, his eyes widened. I do not see that, my lord, he began. He pursed his lips together. Interesting. As you know, that symbol is used by magicians and wizards everywhere as the center of a summoning circle. Gareth knew no such thing, but he did know better than to interrupt Hathley when he went on a tear. He nodded, putting on an encouraging grin, or at least one that he hoped was encouraging, but Hatherly seemed not to notice as he kept right on talking. The symbol's power constrains the beings the wizard summons, allowing him a certain amount of control during the meeting. Hatherly's tongue clicked behind his front teeth. I suspect a necromancer would be especially comfortable with the symbol. The dead are quite unhappy when disturbed. <clears throat> uh, or so I hear. Gareth supposed Hatherly's last comment made sense. Sort of. So now we know the necromancer was here at some point. Gareth left the area beneath the ceiling zenith and stepped toward the symbol on the floor. He half expected the symbol to fade from his vision when he left the zenith, but he did not. It was as though once unlocked, the symbols were easily seen. On a hunch, he looked back up at the zenith. The wolf sigil was still there. Yep, whatever it was that had prevented him from seeing it before was gone. Gareth wished. That didn't make him feel so frightened. He crouched down and examined the symbol. From up close, it almost appeared to be etched into the floor. But that didn't make any sense. If it had been, he would have seen it before. Setting his axe down, he ran his fingers along the symbol. And sure enough, the lines of the star and circle were recessed into the stone of the floor. I'll be damned, Gareth murmured. I should hope not, my lord. Hathaly's ears were entirely too keen sometimes. Rather than respond, Gareth just grunted and went back to examining the symbol. The edges of the lines were abrupt, hardly weathered at all, which is not surprising, considering how little traffic came through this cave. All the same, that meant they had been raided recently. 
Gareth traced out the lines of the symbol again, more slowly. There was something... Well, how about that? Garrick looked up at Hatherley. The engraving is a bit deeper at the, each point of the star, see? Hatherley frowned slightly and crouched down next to Gareth. A moment later, he nodded. Indeed, my lord, it looks as though there is something embedded within as well. Gareth blinked and lowered his head to examine the points of the star more closely. As he did so, he moved the torch now back in his left hand and saw a glint of reflected light from one of the points. Is that metal? Hatherley shrugged. It does appear so, my lord. Gareth bit his lip and thought for a moment. This was becoming more and more interesting. Clearly, the necromancer had left this symbol here and had gone to no small amount of effort to do so. Maybe... Maybe it's like a doorknob, he said, voicing his thoughts aloud. Hatherley shrugged again, but did not reply. Gareth glanced at him and sighed. Sometimes the man's penchant for speaking his thoughts became annoying, but he was knowledgeable about many things. Scholars and sages were useful that way. But he seemed to pick up the strangest times to go silent, and that was almost more annoying. Back up, Hatherley. I'm going to try something, and I have no idea what it's going to do. As you wish, my lord, the slender man stood and moved over to the wall. Garth noted he was right near the ledge, no doubt ready to make a quick escape if things went badly wrong. Smart man. Here goes nothing. Gareth kept the dagger sheathed on his belt, opposite the iron ring that he slung the haft of his axe through when he did not want to carry it. He withdrew the dagger, hardly noticing the familiar sound of steel drawing across hardened leather, and paused. Where to begin? There were no markings to make any one point of the star more important than the other, no indication of where to start and where to end. If Gareth had put this little contraption together, he would have made sure to have something horrible happen to a person who did not execute it correctly. It only made sense the necromancer would have done the same, but there was no way to know that without trying, was there? I'm a sodding fool, he muttered. Then he pressed the tip of his adder into the lower right point of the star. Scarlet light, somehow beautiful despite its unearthly hue, began shining from the point as soon as the steel of the dagger made contact. The glow continued after Gareth removed the dagger, but nothing untoward occurred. He must be on the right track. <laughs> he wasn't dead. Yet. Moving with slow carefulness, he pressed the tip of the dagger into the remaining four points of the star. Each time, the points began glowing, just as the first one had. As he removed the dagger from the final point, Gareth felt a certain satisfaction, and he grinned. Turns out this little riddle is not so difficult after all. He rocked back on his heels, and his grin faded. The points of the light were dimmer. Or was that his imagination? No, no, they were dinner. What? Ah, the lights went out. Damn it, what the hell just happened? Hatherley was next to him again. Garth had not noticed his approach, so caught up in a moment had he been. He had to resist the urge to slap himself. That was the sort of carelessness that could get them both killed. I suspect, Hatherley began, rubbing at his chin with the fingers of a left hand, that you are correct about this device's purpose, my lord. It may well open a portal of some sort, but it will need to work as a whole, not as a collection of individual parts. Gareth blinked. Come again? Hatherley gave him a look that said he was missing the forest for the trees. The star is a series of lines, not a set of five points, my lord. The realization hit Gareth in a flash. Idiot! He should not have needed Hatherley to come up with that sort of conclusion. Grumbling, Gareth thrust the tip of his dagger into the lower right point of the star. This time, he did not remove the dagger, but instead traced the star out, line by line and point by point, until he had completed the entire thing. As he did, the glow began from the first point, then continued 
down the line to the second, getting brighter as it went. By the time he was tracing out the line between the fourth and the fifth points, the glow was bright enough that he had to squint to avoid being dazzled. Done! Gareth pulled his dagger from the engraving, and the circle began glowing on its own. A blue glow this time that complemented the star's crimson, but also added to the glare so much they had to look away. He saw Hatherley, shielding his eyes with a raised hand, a look of surprised awe on his face. Then the light flickered out, leaving them both in blackness. Okay, so we're going to stop there. Uh, it is a longer story, uh, about a little over 17,000 words, so longer for a short story, not long for a novel, right? Uh, but it would take probably close to two hours to do it in full, and with the front and back end stuff saying hi and bye and all the other things, that's just a little longer than I want to make any particular video or podcast, so uh, we'll space this out over a couple of uh, episodes and go from there. Also helps me with uh, not having to figure out exactly what to do each week, <laughs> which is great. Um, kidding about that, of course. But um, yeah, so hope you liked it. If you did, uh, tell all your buddies, come and uh, send them to the channel to uh, watch videos, listen to the podcast, come by my site, michaelkingswood.com, and drop me an email, say hi. You can still find my page on Facebook, although I don't know how, how, for how much longer. Because I'm never on there because I hate it. And I just don't want to give that company any business at all because I think they're scum. Um, and I, hey, I deleted my Twitter, my Michael Kingswood Twitter account because I've always hated Twitter. I only ever got it because people said I should. And it's, it's another cesspool of jackassery and, and one-way censorship and douchebaggery and I don't want to support that either so yeah website's the best way to reach me <laughs> or YouTube comments or whatever uh, of course if you like the story yeah, I will be back next week with more or you can go buy it and get the ebook anywhere you want uh, I actually need to get a paperback version of that done I uh, started it a while back and then never finished uh, but it should be easy enough to get that squared away here before too long but that's going to be a little while because I have other things to do um you know, anywhere ebooks are sold. But best place, of course, as always, is my uh, business site and bookstore, SSNStorytelling.com, because I get the most profit that way. But anyway, links will be in the description. Go where you like uh, to go and pick it up. Or, you know, just go to the website and send me a tip <laughs> through PayPal or cryptocurrency. Or, you know, just come back next week, too. That works fine. Uh, hey, love you guys a long time. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zoggy, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>